Good morning, FCS fans, and welcome to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I am David Hassagan. Next to me, as always, the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, it's been a weird weekend. How are you feeling this Monday morning? I am tired from all the broadcasting, three games in three days, but I am amped because it's playoff time now in the FCS, and we got a lot to talk about. Oh, we have a lot to talk about. We've got dominance, teams that lost their way out, snubs, anger, intrigue. We got the whole nine yards here, folks. Don't forget, folks, you can watch all of the all of our football game plan uh, material, all of the videos on YouTube, FCS Kickoff, and all of your favorite con- uh, content from Football Game Plan. Uh, YouTube.com slash football game plan, everything on the football game plan network. We are on iTunes. Search football game plan podca- in the podcast section. Subscribe. Give us that five star rating. It's a playoff preview. We're going two hours. We need the five star rating for that alone. I mean, come on. We got the FCS kickoff and FCS conference whip around all on football game plan.com slash FCS kickoff. And we are on Twitter at the FCS kickoff at FCS opening drive. And follow my man Emery at F ball game plan. Emery. Before we get into the playoffs, we got all of our a lot of our correspondents are going to be coming in and out here during the show, talking about their teams, talking about the bracket, talking about the matchups. But before we do any of that, we need to start talking about what went down this weekend in the FCS. Let's start it off with the game that happened on Thursday. Southeast Louisiana upsets Nichols 21-17 in the battle for the River Bell. I kind of figured that was going to be a, a close game. We had it in our upset alert uh, video in in the FCS kickoff preview. So something was intriguing about that game enough to where I was like, you know what, this could be one of those games that Southeastern Louisiana could actually win and knock off Nichols despite being 5-5, and and that's what they went out there and did. Absolutely. Stony Brook, a thrilling win to end the season over Maine on a Hail Mary pass 2019. It's funny we're talking about a Stony Brook pass beating a team uh, and getting them essentially into the playoffs because Stony Brook was known for a long time for run game defense, run game defense, bad quarterback play. Joe Carbone has done a great job this season turning his career around and helping lead this football squad. Bryant upset win over Duquesne in the final week, cost the Dukes a spot in the playoffs? Nah, that will, I mean, if certain teams didn't get into the playoffs, then the Dukes weren't going to get in, even with the win. So we, well, that didn't we'll, seem to matter. So. Right, exactly. We'll talk about that. <laughs> but uh, shout out to Bryant, though. You know, good Coach, season. Yeah, good, good season. Coach James Perry, new first year coach, turned that program around. They started scoring points in bunches, and once that happened, they look good for next season. Absolutely, wild game in the Patriot League in the rivalry. Lafayette looked like they had it, but it's Lehigh. Comes out and wins 38-31. They take the Patriot League title. This was fun to watch while doing the Colgate Georgetown broadcast that I was doing because you're kind of scoreboard watching for George uh, for Colgate. And at one point, I believe Lafayette had a 10-point lead, and Colgate was still just running the ball and doing a great job putting up points. And we was like, well, maybe if they win with style points, the committee would find a way to put them in as an at-large because of the winning record. But Somehow, some way, Lafayette's uh, defense couldn't hold hold uh, hold them down. Lehigh's offense, which has been consistent all season long, Ugh. powered through and got them in the playoffs. We'll get to them in a minute too. Last game we got to talk about. And let's talk about that Colgate Colgate game you were at. 
pretty good win to end the season over Georgetown. It was a great game, man. Despite Georgetown losing, Georgetown had a pick six on the opening play of the game. Uh, Fat man touchdown, Christian Tate, the D yes. lineman, got the pick six. <laughs> and uh, Georgetown was up 10-0, actually. And Colgate was was kind of punch drunk. And so Will was like, okay, maybe Georgetown isn't here to play. But Colgate found their offense, found their stride, and ended up winning the ball game in impressive action. And they were actually celebrating the fact that they captured co-Patriot League championship. So even though they didn't get into the playoffs by the end of the game because uh, Lafayette lost, um, they were able to celebrate the fact that they did win the Patriot League co-champs. Absolutely. And let's get now to the teams that are not getting into the postseason. Uh, Let's talk about the conferences that really never, they don't have a spot. We're talking the Ivy and the MEAC. We'll start in the Ivy League. We had the game this weekend with a whole lot more implications than it usually has. Usually it is Harvard and Yale, the winner wins the conference. This time around, not so much. Harvard struggled in the beginning of the year, found their stride late, and then couldn't really come through in the last couple of weeks, couldn't beat Penn. So it was Yale with a chance to win the conference. If they lose, Dartmouth has a chance to win and win the whole thing. But the Bulldogs pull off a tremendous win, 24-3 over Harvard, to win their first outright title since 1980 and in the Ivy. It was great, man. It's, it's great to see youth rewarded with victories and championships because if we're being honest from start to finish Yale has been the most consistent on both sides of the ball their yep. offense is one of the best in the league their defense is one of the best in the league uh, I know Dartmouth's defense is real good as well but and Columbia was really good defensively but Yale has been great on both sides of the ball so it's not surprising that they won this thing outright nine and one on the season with a young team they'll be a factor in 2018 as well absolutely and and in a year that had so many storylines in the Ivy, one of the strongest years that they've ever had. Um, obviously, Dartmouth had a wild game. They put, thir- put up 34 points in the fourth quarter to beat Princeton 54-44. They come up just short here. Um, obviously, you got the story with Columbia uh, going from doormat to instant contender, uh, which has been a tremendous story. But what I think what you get from Yale is a team that, as you said, like Columbia, I want to see what happens next year. I want, you know, I want to see if they can continue this system, which I think it will succeed, but I'm not too sure. With Yale, you look at this team this year and you're like, yeah, next three years, you guys are going to be very, very tough to beat in this conference. Yeah, they were, again, they were nine and one this year, and you could make a case that they could go ten and zero next season. You yes. know, and so they're they're built to last. I think Columbia is built to last as well. Dartmouth is always going to be good. I thought this year was going to be a down year for Dartmouth, but. They were able to replenish a lot of their key playmakers that they lost, and they were strong. They were in it until the last week. And shout-out to Penn for Justin Watson's performance throughout the course of his career. This guy broke all Penn's receiving records, set some FCS receiving records, broke a lot of Ivy League receiving records. And if he doesn't get an invite to the Senior Bowl or East-West Shrine game, it's a crime. This guy is a legit pro player and I thought he put together a phenomenal career and and really was carrying that offense a lot a lot this season he was a consistent playmaker that showed up week after week absolutely I think you're talking about one of the most balanced years we've seen in the Ivy League in a long time I mean the only two under 500 teams were Brown and Cornell Cornell even had their moments where they I mean three weeks out they were still in contention to win the whole thing to win the conference Uh, but Harvard had a slightly down year still finished a five and five Princeton took a couple teams to the brink and finished two and five in conference, but five and five. They started off hot too. They started off real hot. Penn, as you said, Penn had a very, very interesting season, kind of under the radar. There's a t- that's another team that could challenge next year because they took most of the top teams ahead of them to the brink in every game they played. 
So it, it, it's the Ivy League is going to be very intriguing to watch the next couple seasons. It's going to be kind of fun to watch here. Let's move to the MEAC, though. And the MEAC, I mean, this is A&T and others. Uh, North Carolina A&T finished with a perfect record, 11-0, 8-0 in conference. They beat NC Central 24-10. The fans stormed the field at the end of the game. Um, finished number seven in the FCS stats poll overall. Tremendous performance by the Aggies. What a season. Oh, what a season, man. I thought this would have been a down year for A&T because you lose to Rick Cohen. You lose Angelo Keys. You lose Denzel Keys, the wide receiver. You, you figure that, okay, that's a lot of star power gone from this squad. But here they come. Lamar Renard throwing the football real well. Um, was in contention for the Walter Payton Award. Brandon Parker is in contention for the Walter Payton Award as a left tackle. So that tells you how good he has been uh, over the course of the season and also his career. But you also look at a team like Howard getting off the mat. Now, I know they lost last week to Hampton, yep. um, which was a surprise for the battle for the real HU. Hampton gets the last one before they leave the conference in, in I think, two years. Uh, they just announced. But Howard was 2-9. and nine. And and this is what I'm talking about. When you have – you see a lot of times in the NFL – you see it in college football when teams, new coaches take over teams that they're that are bad and they continue to still be bad. Well, I haven't got my players in. I have to get my guys in. Yep. Coach Mike London and his staff took that same two and nine squad, one or two pieces that that were new that were added, and they ended up going seven and four and really was in contention for the celebration bowl up until the last couple of weeks. So Howard is built to sustain the success. Bethune-Cookman got off the mat, and this was a team I thought was going to win the conference. Yeah. Coach Terry Sims does a phenomenal job in coaching those guys. And, and Coach Latrell Scott at Norfolk State, you, you talk about dealing with tragedy and dealing with <sighs> adversity. Yeah. Circling the wagons and getting his team to 500 in the conference, that's big time. And, and, and again, we're going to lose Savannah State. You're going to lose Hampton. But Savannah State showed that they are going to be a force when they drop down to D2. Um, they got some really good recruits. And Florida and them showed some promise. And I know Morgan State's record didn't indicate success, also Delaware State's. But I thought both teams competed well throughout the course of the season. Absolutely. And you talk about the balance of this conference at the top as well. It's usually A&T. Bethune-Cookman is a team that has a proud heritage of being at the top of the MEAC. Uh, NC Central is always there. But to have a team like Howard, as you said, come up, um, no, I don't think many people expected that. I, really, I think a lot of people were thinking, especially middle of the year, Hampton was the team that was going to challenge. They had a very solid season up to that point. Kind of fell off at the end, which was a little disappointing. Um, but, yeah, the, the depth of the talent in the MEAC, people, un, people underestimate that. And, and Coach Jerry Mack, man, at, at North Carolina Central, his team lost Malcolm Bell, their record-setting quarterback, right? And so yeah. he was starting a true freshman and led his team to 7-4. You know, and yeah. so that speaks volumes of the coaching staff there and what he's done to develop guys and get guys ready to play. So not only do you have good talent across the board, you got great coaches in the MEAC. Absolutely. Let's talk about there's some other obviously we had two conferences there decided, uh, and North Carolina A&T is going to the celebration bowl. They will either be playing uh, Alcorn State, which is a possibility, even though they lost this week. That's not the way you want to go into your final week of the season. Um, but they have obviously they have a big bowl game to look to, forward to. Let's talk about the big games that decided a lot about the playoff picture before we really get into the playoff picture. And we're going to we're going to start with the Big South title game, de facto title game. Kennesaw State hosting Monmouth. 
two teams with nine wins coming in. We talked so much about how good both of these teams were, and they both made the field, which I think is a very, very nice that's one of the few things the committee got right, but we'll talk about that later. But Kennesaw dominated this game, 52-21. The Owls are for real, in this, and they can make some noise in the tournament. Defense, man. They have defense, and they can run the ball, which means they can control the clock. And so you can do those two things. Those two things travel well in football, and they also travel well in the playoffs. So the difference in this game for me was the turnovers. Kenji Bahar, I think, threw two or three interceptions. Two interceptions, two interceptions. Yeah. He has been phenomenal all season long and just had a meltdown in this ball game. So I still think Monmouth can go and, and win in the playoffs. But obviously, when you turn the ball over against a great team like Kennesaw, this is what happens. So it's a learning uh, point for, uh, you know, lesson point for Kenji Bahar, the quarterback. You got to protect the football. You can still be aggressive. You just can't turn the ball over. And and again, you give a team that like you give a team like Kennesaw State more chances with the football, and they do a great job of running the football and allowing their offensive line to beat up the defensive line up front. Their defensive line is aggressive. They turn the ball over. Their linebacker play is excellent. Um, you give these guys more opportunities, this will happen. And they won ten straight games in a close loss to Sanford in Week One. So, mm, and we'll get to that that. Uh game with Sanford in a second as well when we get into the playoffs. But you're right with Kennesaw State on the defensive side of the ball. And I just want to highlight one young man that's really made an impact. In a redshirt freshman, Bryson Armstrong. This kid is leading the team in tackles. He's got 82 tackles, 10.5 tackles for loss, 10 sacks, 3 forced fumbles, and 3 INTs. How in the world is this kid at FCS level if only it, it, the only reason it has got to be his size? That's the only reason because he's 5'11", 201. This kid is a stud, an absolute stud. It takes a lot for, and he and his defensive teammates, to shut out Monmouth in the second half. I mean, Pete Guerrero had a good game for Monmouth. Their running back who is over, finished a th- over 1,000 yards for the season. He had his normal game, but as you said, it, it was about the mistakes by Bahar. And you talk about you know, Chandler Burks, you know, dual-threat quarterback, had a pretty good game in the air, which you don't often see from them. They're obviously a rush-heavy team. Um, finished pretty high up they finished number one in rushing yards in the fcs <laughs> and that's with teams like wofford the citadel you know option teams like cal poly yeah and they finished first and they're an option team too but they're a little bit more of a your unique spread option like charleston southern who also yeah. by the way played some good football this year but yeah the passing game from burks was surprising in this one i think it also surprised the defense of monmouth absolutely it completely stunned them i think i think monmouth will be a little bit angry going into the into their next playoff game. Kennesaw is going to be – they better not have their heads in the clouds. That's the one thing is to be overconfident going into the postseason. Because here's the thing. Their only loss this year, Samford by five. Who do they play in the first round? Samford. The only difference is they're home. They were at Samford in the first week of the season. They're home this, week, this uh, year in the first round of the playoffs. That's the only thing. That is different about this matchup, but it's still a huge deal. Let's that's going to be rocking, man. <sighs> There's going to be a little bit of a revenge factor there, I can tell you that. Let's move on to another game here, and that was the Villanova-Delaware game. And, I mean, Delaware, let's be honest, they probably had a chance to play their way in. The way that the rest of the chaos went on the final day of the season here, they had a chance to win. All of a sudden, Villanova showed up. 28-7 Villanova. What happened? Oh, my goodness. Villanova realized, like, hey, we are a good team. And the thing with Villanova is that their offense was was hurting them throughout the season. Defensively, 
they were never terrible at all. Even with the losses of Rob Roll, the free safety, yeah. uh, Malik Reeves, the corner missed some time, their defense was still good. Offensively, they finally got, got it together for a game, and this is the result. They essentially knocked Delaware out of the playoffs. Oh, they definitely knocked him out. And, and one, a weird stat line for Jack uh, Shetelich here, their quarterback – had a decent, he's, you know, obviously another dual threat quarterback, decent game on the ground, scored a touchdown there. He was only five of seven for 61 yards in the air and threw two touchdowns. <laughs> Efficiency. Like, <laughs> efficient, that's one way to call it. Um, also, though, a great game from their running back, Aaron Forbes, as well, cracked 100 yards in this game. But you're talking about Delaware, and they had it, honestly. I think they had it. They had a better head to head record than some teams that finished somehow above them. And they did everything right all the way down the stretch, except for losing this game. Although, as we'll find out, as we found out on Sunday, losing apparently doesn't matter as long as you have the right name recognition. Um, but again, it was about forcing mistakes. They had two INTs in this game, one that was returned for a touchdown early. I think that stunned Delaware a bit. Villanova showing up on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I mean, this was the Blue Hens' chance to get in, and they just flat out blew it. Well, let's talk about that game that you that you alluded to, that New Hampshire Albany game, fifteen to nothing. That one was probably the shocker of the weekend. Exactly. I mean, I remember I listened back on last week's show, and I said UNH not only has to win, they have to win convincingly to get into the field mm-hmm. because they did not they had not deserved to get into the field with what their resume was. Apparently, all they had to do was show up. Because they got an at-large bid, and I'm I'm holding back my rant. I want to hold off until later on in the show when we talk about the playoffs, because that way I can go off. Albany shut them down, and shut usually down. Albany, we, we know Albany is a pretty good defensive team. Right. They are con- they are usually a better a, a better defensive team than they are this year. Usually they're about 500 or maybe a little above, right around that six and five, seven and four mark. Uh, recently they've fallen off a bit. Albany showed up for this game. I mean, they had a safety. It was we had a great scoreline of five nothing, <laughs> and it wasn't a baseball game. Um, Austin Ellis hitting a long bomb touchdown pass though to really drive home the advantage in the third quarter. Fifty-four yards to Will Brunson uh, from Will Brunson, I should say. I just don't get it. I, I don't understand what part of a fifteen nothing loss the selection committee saw and said, "Yep." that team deserves to get in yeah it's not for me it's not about the loss per se more so than the fact that new hampshire couldn't score i mean they have a really good quarterback in trevor knight yeah and they could not score and this is usually a very good offense and new hampshire not scoring is you know not scoring a lot is not new they probably are quietly they sputtered a little bit offensively throughout the year you yeah. know, but they are normally known for for their offense and good uh, offensive line play. The fact that they didn't score a point against Albany, it was not only a loss, but it was a bad loss, and I was shocked to see them get in. Embarrassing, and we we want to get a, to a couple more te- games here before we get into our full playoff preview here. Another team that lost their way out, Montana. They lose to Montana State, and remember, you said there was no chance. You not I rounded off a couple points that week. No way that Montana loses to Montana State. They lost to Montana they State. They lost to Montana State, which probably strengthened the case for Kennesaw State, and 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 also probably strengthened the case for New Ham for you for New Hampshire and Northern Iowa to get in. Yeah, I think if Montana wins their game, they probably are ahead of both of those teams, easily, easily. Um, but rivalry games have a funny way. They have a funny way about them. Mm-hmm. It's just like 
you think you're going to no nah, you're you're not going to the play, no 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 you're not going to the playoffs <laughs> no 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 31-23 Montana State big second quarter where they put up 21 points and then all they had to do was just hold on and get the win Bobcats this is going to sting for a while you know what Grizzland you know what caused this loss Montana's defense which has been a sieve all season long yep and so yeah. they've given up a lot of points you know Montana the, the Grizzlies are known for their pass rush you know, they can really get after the quarterback, or they should have been able to get after the quarterback. They couldn't stop anyone this season, you know, and, yeah. and that's been the issue. That's been their bugaboo. Their offense is, is explosive. Uh, they go by the saying, Stit happens, Coach Bob Stith. You, you know, his, his offense, <laughs> they spread the field. They, they really push the tempo. But defensively they, this year, even within the conference, they were not good. And, you know, they probably didn't deserve to get in. But there's a team in that big sky that has a legitimate beef, too, uh, they just quietly went about their business. Uh, you see so many 7-4 teams, and then you see a team, and we'll get to this later, but you see a team outside is with nine wins. It's like, wait a minute. But even some of these 7-4 teams have a better case than a 7-4 team that got in. Absolutely. And, and the thing was weird about this game is that it wasn't even the pass defense that cost Montana this game. It was the run defense. Every Montana State touchdown was a running touchdown. Every single one of them, including a 71-yard run uh, by Nick Lassane. I mean, Montana, you had one job. <laughs> this is perfect for that. You have you one, had job one job was to beat Montana State. You should have. You had the opportunity to. You easily could have in this game. You failed miserably. And, I mean, the only, the only consolation is that Eastern Washington didn't get in either. Because let's be honest, they were taken to the brink by Portland State. That was game was close for a half. It shouldn't have been. Uh, but Montana really did cost themselves. Let's move on to this last big game that really decided a lot of things. Well, we thought it was going to decide a lot of things. The South Dakota Showdown Series. South Dakota State versus South Dakota. And we, we, picked, we picked this game last week thinking, when are this, if South Dakota loses this game, they have a tough case to get in. Very tough case. Well, apparently not because they lost this game. They still got in, although much better game than we thought it was going to be. 31-28, pretty good game here. Yeah, they played their hearts out. This is a situation where how you lose probably helped them out. Oh, well, you know, South Dakota is still a pretty good team. The Coyotes are pretty good. You know, they, it was a tough loss. They lost three straight games. Yeah. So they're going into the playoffs free-falling. Yeah. You know, so this is another case, a team that went 4-4 four and four in conference, 7-4 and four overall. So they'll make the case that, well, you know, Look how tough the Missouri Valley Conference is. All of their losses came from the MVC, but they lost three straight games. And if they can't beat teams in the Missouri Valley Conference, then how are they going to compete in the playoffs against teams that are now everyone in the playoffs is good? Yeah. So that's the issue I have. And they, they've looked bad outside of this last loss. They played well. But the first two losses were terrible losses for South Dakota. Terrible losses. I will say this, though. If there's any team that's 7-4 that I think deserved to get in, it was South Dakota, just because of what they are capable of. I mean, you're looking at Chris Strebler, who's one of the most dangerous men at quarterback in the FCS level. I mean, mm -hmm. the kid threw for 23 touchdowns, only five picks, over 3,000 yards. This kid can sling it. And what we did see from this South Dakota State game, even though it wasn't what we expected, is the running game showed up. Michael Frederick, 
a couple rushing touchdowns in this game. So they show that they do have a little bit more balance than maybe they get credit for. Everybody's Streveler, Streveler, Streveler passing game. This is how they're going to win. It's going to be a track meet. South Dakota's going to put up 60 points on whoever they have to play. That's how they have to win. Not necessarily the case. So I think they did make, they showed enough for me. Um, even with this loss, it was a tough loss to a top 10 ranked team. That's number one. Number two, Chris Streveler is still a very, very dangerous man. And they have a in, in terms of their attack in this conference, decently balanced attack, which, again, they don't get credit for. So I think they got an outside shot here to possibly make some noise in the tournament, and they don't have to go to North Dakota State or South Dakota State unless it's in the title game. Why are five Missouri Valley Conference teams in the playoffs? It doesn't make any sense. I'm just saying if there's a team that does deserve to go, it's them. Yeah. I mean, Northern Iowa? No way. Mm, right. No way do the the Purple Panthers. This, this isn't the NCAA basketball tournament where they can pull an upset just because they got in because of a name. It's not going to happen, but apparently it does happen. This is what always happens, but we'll, we will get to this all in a second, folks. Once again, you're listening to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hassigan here with Emery Hunt. Again, folks, you're listening to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hasegan here with Emory Hunt. Before we get into the playoffs, Emory, we've got to talk about some coaching changes that are uh, going down. It's that time of the year where we see uh, we usually see some firings, but we're seeing a kind of a, <laughs> a convulsion of firings going on right now. Uh, some to mention Northwestern State moving on from their head coach there uh, at the end of the season, Alabama A&M. Um, James Spady is out. There, Tennessee Tech, uh, Marcus Sid, uh, Setterfield out at the season, and Alex Wood has resigned as the head coach of Florida A&M. Any of those changes surprise you at all? Alex Wood and Satterfield, because Alex Wood uh, was one of those coaches that, that got it, and Florida A&M has a ton of talent. And, you know, he brought in some great talent. And remember, when he first got there, they had to deal with those APR issues, which took away their spring football. So his first year as a coach, they didn't have spring football. So they had to prep for the 2016 season all in August yeah. and then get out there, and they didn't have success. But they played well toward the end of last year. Coming into this season, there was a lot of optimism. They had a spring. They had a lot of recruits come in. Very good talent. They started off with a bang against Texas Southern and beating those guys and looked impressive in doing so, but they tailed off. I, I wonder if this has something to do with the AD leaving and now going to Kennesaw State. Ah. And, you know, there's always something. And, and Coach Wood, is a, he's a smart guy. You know, he probably saw the writing on the wall and probably knew they probably, probably wanted to go in a new direction with a new AD or whatever. Or maybe he just wants some stability and found some other opportunity. But that surprised me, and Satterfield surprised me because of the outstanding job he has done going there and, and with the talent. You know, he has guys that are on that roster that have pro talent. You know, he had a guy last year, Malik Hall, was an outstanding corner that had a cup of coffee in the NFL. And so – his offense was well known. He got there, and and I'm surprised that one was was made. I mean, weren't they one in ten though this year? They were. It's one, hard I to mean, yeah. It's, it's hard to explain that, but you want to give a guy time to to work in work in his his plan. Um, Tennessee Tech is not Jacksonville State, nor is it even Kennesaw State. True. They have a long way to go. You know, as a program, like not every program is ready to go win right away, and they had a lot to do to to get back into. 
Uh, and uh, you know what probably hurt him is the fact that Austin P had success. And yeah. everyone was like, well, if they could do it, and we know how dirt terrible they were, then why, why can't, can't you? you win? You know, yeah. so. All right, folks, again, this is the time of the year that you all wanted to listen in on. It's our playoff preview here on the FCS Opening Drive podcast. And, again, if you're missing something, if you want to re-listen to something, say, like, did he really just say something that I think he just said? You can listen to us on iTunes. We're available on iTunes. We're available on SoundCloud. So make sure you check it out on demand there. But let's talk about playoffs, Emery. The selection show was Sunday morning. More than a little, more than a few question marks about the field, but no question marks about the teams that are the top eight seeds. Let's go through them. Number one seed, JMU, defending national champions, 11-0, the only other undefeated team outside of North Carolina A&T. No surprise the Dukes are number one. Number two, the Bison, North Dakota State, got knocked off the horse, or the Buffalo, if you will. Get in at number two after losing last year to JMU, snapping their five-year five winning streak. Jacksonville State in at number three, the OVC champions. Central Arkansas, maybe a hidden gem at number four, the Purple Bears. Number five, South Dakota State gets in out of the Missouri Valley. Number six, you got Sam Houston State, who can throw over everybody. Number seven, Wofford, who can run over everybody. And at number eight, Southern Utah out of the big sky. They get the last bye in the bracket. How do you think they did with the rankings of the top eight? Only one I have a question with. South Dakota State gets a five seed. Eh. That's a question to me. Eh. Because <laughs> South Dakota State, and, and granted, I love the Jackrabbits, right? They're nine and two. You know, they won five straight games. So maybe, you know, all right, maybe I'm being a little bit hectic. But who's the sixth seed? Number six seed is uh, Sam Houston State. Move them up. They should be number five. Who's the seventh seed? Number seven is Wofford. Who's number eight? Number eight, Southern Utah. Okay, so only one I would move ahead, and that was a, it's a slight just question. A, just a flip-flop just a of five flip and six. flip-flop and five and six, right. I think it's pretty much a toss-up, and I think, again, it kind of goes to strength of conference, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but I think, I, I, obviously, Missouri Valley is a stronger conference, and I think that's why you put them slightly ahead here. I think they did a good job with the top eight. I mean, you can't deny you, yeah, you, you can't, and yeah, North yeah. Dakota State at the top right. two. Um, Jacksonville State has had an outstanding season out of the OVC, and Central Arkansas has probably been – the quietest, consistent team of the bunch. They're kind of right there. Um, wait, wait, wait. Time out. You just said strength of conference, right? Uh-huh. And the Southland has two top eight seeds? Uh-huh. And the Southland has a team with nine wins that didn't get in? We'll get to that in I'm a second. I'm just checking. I'm just making we'll sure. We'll get to that in a second. Let's go through the bracket here, folks. And um, I, I don't. if you haven't seen it yet, prepare to be a little bit shocked at times, but you'll know when. Let's go to the top left portion of the bracket. JMU is the number one seed. Southern Utah, the number eight seed, also up here. They get the buys. Stony Brook gets an at-large bid. They will be the home team. They host Lehigh, the champions of the Patriot League, at five and six. But they still went five and one in the conference. They get in. They will play the winner of that game will play JMU. Weber State, they get an at-large bid out of the Big Sky. They have a possible possibility to meet up with another Big Sky opponent in the next round but they have to get past Western Illinois to do so. A couple interesting matchups in that one, but we'll talk about those in depth as we go along. Let's just get through this bracket. Bottom left corner, South Dakota State and Central Arkansas get the buys. Northern Iowa makes the field, and they're home at 7-4. and four. They host the runners-up in the Big South, Monmouth, who are 9-2. and two. Winner of that game will face off against the Jackrabbits. New Hampshire, yes, get... I can hear you firing off on Twitter right now. New Hampshire is in. They get a home game 
against the champions of the NEC Central Connecticut State. The winner of that team will have to make a long trip, no matter who wins, to Central Arkansas for the second round. Top right corner of the bracket, Jacksonville State gets the bye. They will face the winner of Sanford and Kennesaw State. These teams matched up in the regular season. Sanford is Kennesaw's only loss. We talked about that earlier. That'll be an interesting matchup. And also in that bracket, Sam Houston State, they get the bye. They will face the winner of South Dakota versus Nichols State. Now, Nichols State gets in at 8-3. and three. Worse record, I think, than – I think eight is 8 less than 9? I think 8 is less than 9, is it? Last time I checked, man. I, I'm, again, my math is terrible, but I think 8 is less than 9. I could be wrong. But they will be the host. Nichols will host South Dakota. They will go to Sam Houston State, the winner of that one. Bottom corner of the bracket here, Wofford gets the bye. They will face the winner of Furman and Elon. Again, Elon kind of struggling going down the stretch. They will get the home game, though, against Furman. Again, a matchup from the regular season. Elon winning that game by less than five points in early part of the year. That's an interesting matchup. And the last one, North Dakota State will get the bye. They will face the winner of San Diego, the champions of the Pioneer, taking on Northern Arizona from the Big Sky. Intriguing matchup in that one. San Diego having to go on the road, but it still gave teams trouble. The bracket is here, and every year we have the discussion. Did the committee get it right, or did they get it wrong? You can do that at any level of football. I think we can not only say that they got it wrong, they got it tragically wrong this year, Emery. And I was watching this, and I was more than a little upset, especially when a certain quadrant of the bracket, the bottom left corner, came out and Northern Iowa popped up. I thought that was going to be the limit of my, of my rage. I thought that was going to be the end of my rage. That was going to be it. And then UNH popped up. Emery, can you make any sense of this at all besides the obvious? At all? None. Um, <laughs> New Hampshire, I mean, and we're going to bring in our uh, Colonial Athletic Association correspondent, Ryan Griffin later on in this in this podcast, but it's I find it hard to to find the avenue to defend New Hampshire. And he, There's and nothing you can say to defend these guys. Nothing. The only thing you can say is you know legacy, which is dumb because <laughs> you know you can't really put you can't really give someone credit for being who they are. You know, so at some point you have to look at on the field and, and what they were able to do uh, in big games. Who did, who did they lose to this year? So the New Hampshire's losses. Holy Cross. They lost. That's 50, one. They lost 51-26. Oh, they gave up 51 points to Holy Cross. To Holy Cross. In, of the Patriot League. The Patriot League. Okay, so that's one. That's all you need to say right there. They lost to Stony Brook. Oh, a playoff team too, right? And Stony Brook. Playoff, yeah, I, I believe they're in the playoffs. Yes. I, that's, that's, uh, okay, so that's 0-1 that's against a team in the field. Right. Uh, they lost to JMU. Oh, Shut out by JMU. Oh, they got shut out. Yeah. I thought they got shut out last weekend. That, they did. They oh, they, they, got they got shut, shut out, out twice this year. By Albany. Albany. Now, which Albany? Because, you know, which Albany we're talking oh, about? Oh, no, no, no. Great Dane. Big Dog. Purple Albany. So, they got, so not only yeah. did they get shut out by JMU, they got <laughs> yeah. shut out by Albany. Yeah. And they got. But Albany shuts out everybody, right? N- no. Okay. We go. Who else did they lost? Uh, that, that's it. So, they, they lost to. Two teams that are in the field, one team that two teams that didn't even come close to making the field. Oh, who, who's that? Wait, the only thing the only team they beat of any substance is Elon, so and they won by ten. Wait, so they they lost to to Holy Cross, they lost to Albany, they lost to Stony, and who else they lost to? 
JMU. JMU. All right. Shut out by JMU. And shut out by Albany. So you got two shutouts and a loss against a team out of the Patriot League. But you, that's you know, not Colgate. But, but you know the the big obviously they beat Maine by one. They beat Maine twenty four twenty three in week one. That's what Stony Brook did. That means they're better than they're better than Stony Brook because they won by one point with more points scored, right? They that, lost to a Patriot League team not named Colgate or Lehigh. Yeah, yeah. How is this team in the postseason? Not only did the committee screw this up, they screwed it up royally. Because let's talk snubs. I mean, Northern Iowa, they didn't deserve to get in either, but I, I don't even have the rage for you right now because New Hampshire is just an absolute travesty when you consider that you have McNeese State out of the Southland, who finished, by the way, above Nichols, who's in, had nine wins, which is two more than seven, if my math doesn't fail me. Close. How are they not in? And then the story of the season, a team that had not one, but two back-to-back Winless seasons in Austin P. Win eight games. They lost four, three of them to FBS opponents. They should have beaten Cincinnati. They gave they allowed, they scored more points against number fifteen ranked UCF than anybody has all season. And the committee said that the three FBS losses worked against them. Where in the hell is the logic in that? There is none. And my point is There's this. no logic in the committee, period. That that was a travesty. And he, people have to understand who Austin P is or who Austin P was. Was. Remember, uh, we just saw a big win this weekend from Prairie View A&M. They had a really solid season, right? Prairie View A&M right now yep. is uh, five and five, you know, and they are usually challenging Southern and Grambling for that West Division in the SWAC, right? Yeah. But Prairie View... In all his recent success, they were 9-2 and two, two years ago and had a legitimate beef for an at-large uh, spot yep. in the playoffs. They got snubbed, 9-2, and two, right? Prairie View from 1989 to 2000, I believe, lost all their games. So they were 0-89, <laughs> literally. And they got their first win against Langston. It was like an NAIA program, 16-14, I think, in 2000. So they had spent 11 years of winless seasons. And so – Austin P was in the same boat when you made jokes about teams in college football. You talked about Austin P and Prairie View and, and Slippery and Rock Columbia. because of the name in Columbia, right? Yeah, and all because they were terrible. Yeah, and so the fact that this team and you saw it early in the year that Cincinnati game, they were in that ball game. They had a chance to win. They should have won that ball game because they should have beat C- Cincinnati. Look at what Cincinnati's done this year. It's absolutely dumbfounding how bad they are. That's an easy win. That's an easy win. And you look at the conference there in the OVC. Oh, has, but the OVC is weak. Yeah, that, that's what they say. The, the OVC, that's what the they OVC want is, you to believe. Yeah, yeah. Didn't they put Illinois, Eastern Illinois, like top 15 or something in, a, in, in the polls? About week eight. I think they were in top 15, top 20. And you also look at they Tennis, Tennessee State. They beat Georgia State. Yeah. UT Martin um, is a good team, too. Competitive team. Jacksonville State is, the number, is one of the top eight seeds. So this conference isn't bad. Austin P won a lot of big games. They won games impressively. And the fact that you talk about a story, you want the story going into the playoffs. You don't want this story about New Hampshire going in. I agree with you about Delaware. Delaware had, has a tough case, though, because they lost to Villanova. But Delaware, in against common opponents that they had, the UNH, had a better record. The only reason they were not they are not in instead of New Hampshire is because the committee, they, they were ranked lower than New Hampshire at the beginning of the season. They had to play catch-up. And they basically mirrored each other. 
So no matter what they did, unless they finished with a better record, they weren't getting in. Which is, I, I would have rather had Delaware in than UNH. How do you keep out a team, like two teams, McNeese won on their final week against Lamar, granted, not convincingly, but they won. Austin P beats easily one of the top four teams in the OVC in Eastern Illinois in the final week. They don't get in. But a team that lost in a shutout against Albany, you look at that performance, and that's what I said earlier in the program, apparently all they had to do was show up and play the game. The only way that New Hampshire was not going to win is that their bus broke down on the way there and they couldn't actually play. It's an absolute disgrace by the selection committee, an absolute joke to allow these two teams, and not only let them in, let them have home games. Northern Iowa, who, I mean, granted, we talked about them on the bubble for the last four or five weeks or so, coming down the stretch. They were always going to be close. And I knew they, I think that there was one spot where I had like five or six teams that included Montana, you know, a couple of these other teams that I thought they could have gotten. There's no reason they should host this game. Because now Monmouth has to travel to Iowa, number one. Number two, they got to play in that environment. And you know what's going to happen? And them and New Hampshire both hosting, they're both going to win their games. And then the committee will turn around and say, well, see? They were obviously the best team. They, they, they won their first-round games. We obviously put the right team in. No, 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 no. You gifted them a win by giving them a home game. I personally would love to see Central Connecticut and, Mon- and Monmouth tear them both to shreds. I don't, wanna, I don't want them to lose. I want them to lose by, well, to make it presidential, I want them to lose bigly. I want them to lose bigly in the first round. So, one, I don't even have to talk to them anymore. Like, it's, what's outrageous about this is you have a 5-6 and six team in the postseason, and that's not the team people are upset about them being in. It's that, that's, that's Lehigh. Like, at least they won their conference, and they won five out of six games in their conference schedule. They're not the team everybody's upset by. It's these two because they don't deserve to be in. I'll tell you this, though. You see it in the FBS, you know, with the SEC. In preseason rankings, they'll put all 16 SEC teams in the top 16. So when they start beating teams and, and beating each other – I mean, look at the conference, man. But when people talk about the SEC, they only talk about Alabama, LSU, whatever East team is hot Auburn, that year. Auburn sometimes. Georgia. Sometimes. It yeah. depends on whichever East team is hot. Yeah. They never bring up Kentucky. They never bring up Vanderbilt. They never bring up Missouri, who has quietly won. Missouri's going to a bowl game. Exactly. But the SEC isn't as big. Just when they talk about the Missouri Valley Conference and the strength, they only talk about North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Youngstown State. Usually. Usually. And Northern Iowa sometimes. Yeah. But I think McNeese State has the biggest case for being snubbed because they got nine wins. And, again, yes, one of those wins was against Florida Tech, a strong Division II program. However, I know that doesn't count. But they take that win away. There's still eight Division I wins in a what you want to call a tough conference. The Southland Conference has what? Central Arkansas, number three. Sam Houston State, number five. And both of those are ten and one, so a combined twenty and two, and Nichols at eight and three. And Nichols is in a Nichols is in is having a, a Austin P year because yeah. Nichols was terrible. They were talking about probably closing the the university, Jeez. you know, because of budget cuts and stuff like that in Louisiana. So Nichols, to, to Coach Rebo has done a great job. He's also in a running for Coach of the Year for what he's did done with that program. So McNeese is also one of those blue blood programs, just like New Hampshire. Yeah, you know. So why would you not include that? I would put them in over 
UNH. I'm sorry, UNH. Yeah, UNH or UNI. So yeah. I think they have a. And if you want to talk about uh, like deep sleeper snubs, Sacramento State. I thought out the Big Sky has a case. That was yeah. That's an because that's a team again. We talked about a few weeks out. We talked about that. I think week nine or week ten, saying this team's got a chance. And then they kind of fell off, and we were kind of like, eh, okay. And they won three straight games. They went three straight to end the year. They put up, again, they showed that they actually have some talent that can actually beat some teams that can win. New Hampshire hasn't shown us any of that. Now, who, now pull up Sacramento State's schedule. Who did Sacramento State beat out of the top four? And we're talking about Southern Utah, Weber, Eastern, or Northern Arizona. Did they even play those teams? Let's see. So they lost to Weber. Okay. They beat Southern Utah, who has a bye, and, and, by the way. And only has one conference loss. They lost to Eastern Washington. They lost to Northern Arizona. All right, so they won in three against the top four. Yeah. Okay, so that's that, their case. That's the case for them not being in. Yes, but I, I want to get back to McNeese real quick because not only you could also say, oh, 9-2. You can still have an ugly 9-2. and two. Let's be honest. Like, you can have a, a team where you can have a, a, they win every game by, like, a couple points. And you can have a New Hampshire 7-4. and four. I, I get what yeah. you're saying. Go ahead. McNeese is top 40 in every offensive category in the country. One of the best defenses in the country. Number one in rushing defense. They allowed less than 600 yards rushing in 11 games. 599 yards. Wow. They are number five in defensive yards per game. Number 13 in points allowed per game. Number six in total. They allowed less than 3,000 yards total this season. You have some quarterbacks that put them up by themselves. They allowed 2,888 yards over 11 games. That's about 207 yards a game, right? They win nine of them. They won games 55-7. to seven. They beat Stephen F. Austin in a shutout, 35-0. That's a hard team to shut out because Stephen F. Austin has great offense. They beat Southeastern Louisiana, who, by the way, just beat Nichols, who got in. Who did they lose to? I knew they lost to Nichols. They lost to Nichols by two, 37-35. The only loss was Central Arkansas. And they lost to Nichols, and they had a, a, a huge lead in that game. Nichols came back. So, granted, they're a good team. They should be in. They're yeah. a blue blood program. They got the record. They got the defense. They got everything you want. But if Nichols is in, McNeese is in, period. Colgate also has a, a – a, yeah. here's the thing about Colgate. Colgate should have beaten Richmond. Yeah. They also should have beaten Lehigh. Yep. Those two victories right there will put them at 8-2. and two. They revved off a, a long streak right here in, in uh, the Patriot League. They won five straight games. They dominated within the conference except for Lehigh. So, yeah. you know, they're 7-4, two closed losses. Their defense is great. They're playing a true freshman quarterback. I thought that's more of a convincing, convincing at-large bid to award a co-champion of a conference yeah. more so than New Hampshire. Here's the thing with New Hampshire, too. They showed the last two in, first, last two in, first two out. Oh, who's the last two in? That's the thing. It was South Dakota and Nichols were the last two in. Well, who's the last two out? First two, first two out were Austin P. And I think it was McNeese. Wow. But here's the thing. Northern Iowa at 7-4, who didn't deserve to get in, and UNH at 7-4, who got shut up by Albany. I can't say that enough. At 7-4, didn't deserve to get in. They were not even the last two in. Wow. Like, if they were the last two in, I'd still be ticked off. But at least you could say, well, at least it was close. Apparently, the committee thinks, well, we got to make our money somehow. CAA, Missouri Valley. Yep, that's good enough. We don't even have to look at the records. And people wonder why playoff ratings are down in the FCS. You know, If Austin P was in, I would watch that game. 
Right. I would just get a subscription to watch Austin P play because it's a tremendous story. But Will Healy has to be coach of the year. And I will say this, Coach Healy, you have a whole lot more class than I do because they, they had him on the selection show. They called him up. Oh, they called him up. Well, oh, well, no, well, yes. Well, yeah, uh, they, yeah. well I, I, I think they probably were going to have him call in because of a good story with the assumption that they were going to be in, more than likely. He showed so much class and show, so much poise in that phone interview that I do not have because if I was on that call – I would have called in right when they had the head of the selection committee on there. That's when I would want to be tra- yeah, transfer me in when he is, when he's on the line. Oh, it, it would it would have been like one of those classic HBO shows. It's like put me right in his ear, <laughs> put me right in his ear right now. Because how dare the committee say you've got three FBS losses, a team that's in a higher division? I I, I still don't think they understand that FBS is up a level. They're not the same. They're up a level. You almost beat one of them, and you put up more points than any FBS team has against a ranked opponent. And that counts against you. Shame on the committee, because guess what, folk? Guess what, boys? You got it wrong again. And we're not shocked, because I know that you're on the take from I somebody. Need, I need to see the books. I need, I need to see where what, what, what the money going. Oh, I, I know where. That's I, what I, that's what, I don't know where it's going, but I know where it's coming that's from. That's what I need to do. You always got to check the books. I know where it's coming from. Well... Folks, the selection is come and gone. There's nothing we can do. But what we can do is talk about these first-round matchups. And there's some intriguing ones. We, talk, we broke them all down. Which matchup do you see in this first round as being, hmm, shall we say intriguing? Lehigh and Stony Brook. I thought you were going to go there. Two reasons why. One is East Coast, New York City, Long Island, right? Yep. And it involves contrast and styles. Styles make fights, right? Yes. Lehigh has all of the offense. Yep. None of the defense. Stony Brook has all of the defense and quietly has put together some offense this year. So, I don't know if Stacey <laughs> Bedell is going to be healthy, though. He's a, he's a tremendous player. That's a question mark. That's a big question mark. For me, the interesting game here is Elon versus Furman. And there are two matchups like this, but this one stands out in particular because it's a rematch from the regular season. You don't often see this in any playoff scenario, but we got it here. And I was actually talking to uh, Brian Strauss, who's the, uh, the broadcaster for Elon, uh, who I've met a couple times. And he was saying that, you know, we run the ball. They also run the ball. We just run the ball a little bit better. And I'm like, wasn't it only a four-point game? He's like, yeah, but I like our chances. <laughs> this is going to be a fun game to watch because it, it was from early on in the year. Elon got the win. Only by four points. I believe it was 35-31 with the final score of this game. Rematch, they know each other. They know what each other's strengths are because they do the exact same thing. I think this is going to be a game that's going to come down to who has the last possession or who makes the one mistake. If both teams are perfect, it's who has the ball. If somebody has a turnover that causes points, that's going to flip this game. This is going to be a real tight matchup. This is going to be a fun one to watch. Nichols in South Dakota is another good one. Very good one. Because um, you have South Dakota traveling down to Thibodeau, Louisiana. Down to the bayou. And literally. And if you've seen the movie The Water Boy, it's a perfect description of Nichols in Thibodeau, Louisiana. <laughs> Shout out to Thibodeau. Um, but this, don't worry, folks. He went, he went to Louisiana Lafayette. He can make this joke. Yeah, we, we, I can make that joke. I can make that joke, yeah, e- easily. And so. No, I, dang it, Emory. <laughs> I look at I look at Coach Rebo, right? Who's yeah. well traveled within Louisiana. He coached at Louisiana Lafayette. 
He coached at uh, UL Monroe. Okay. And he's now at Nichols. So he he knows the state through and through. And Nichols used to be a, a really good, formidable FCS opponent uh, for years uh, under Darren Bar- uh, Barbier before he left and went on to other things. And so Nichols has been on the downside. This is the first year they're back up. Last year you start to see some seeds of it. Same thing we were talking about with uh, Columbia and Yale. You saw it last year with Nichols. A lot of freshmen played, and those freshmen are now experienced sophomores. So you have guys that are competing and, and, and leading this football team. So they're going to be good. South Dakota has lost three straight games, but they do have one of the best players in the FCS, in Chris Strebler. If they can make him one-dimensional, it's going to be interesting. Keeping on that defensive line of Nichols, Sony, uh, Sully Leach is an outstanding player, and, um, and you can't get any more – Southwestern Louisiana than the name Sully Leach, spelled L A I C H E. That's Cajun <laughs> through and through, baby. And we also got uh, Damien Jean Pierre. Oh, and you also have Chance Fourcade, too. And if you don't know the last name Fourcade, his uncle, John Fourcade, was the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. I think that's pretty decent. 1990. You know, so Fourcade is a big name down there in Louisiana. It's pretty decent. Folks, we're going to take a quick break here on the show. When we come back, we're going to have a couple of our correspondents on here to uh, to talk about their teams. We're going to have our associate from the CAA try to defend New Hampshire. I don't know how he's going to do that, but we're going to we'll, we'll stay off of we'll stay off his back because it's it's not his fault. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't worry about that. Uh, we also got our correspondent coming in from the Big South, so we'll have both of them coming on. They got a lot to talk about here about their teams and why they could make some noise, and then we'll go game by game. And we also got a couple of SWAC games. We've got the Bayou Classic to talk about as well coming up this weekend. SWAC is still going with their regular season. We're going to break down every game. We're going to see who's who. And can we get some upsets, some intrigue in the FCS postseason? Again, folks, this is the FCS Opening Drive Podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We'll be back after this quick break. So you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now's the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 19. 19- Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit Go. CSB.com. Welcome back to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hasegan here with Emery Hunt. It's our 2017 playoff preview show. And right now we're going to go to uh, one of our correspondents are from the FCS Conference Whip Around. If you haven't been watching, you should be. Uh, we're smarter than we look. Uh, that makes all of us. Ryan Griffith is here from the CAA. Ryan, how you doing this morning, man? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, interesting week with uh, the New Hampshire addition to the <laughs> to the playoffs. Was not expecting that. Don't don't worry, we we won't hammer you. We've already gone after them too much, so we're not going to talk about that. 
Ryan, obviously you've got one of the deeper conferences uh, that's always looking to make some noise in the postseason in the CAA. you got uh, a couple of interesting teams in here, and we're going to we'll start things off with the defending national champions, JMU. Um, obviously kind of caused a stir last year when they beat North Dakota State, ended the streak. Can they continue that, do you think, this season? Obviously they're undefeated. That speaks for itself. They haven't looked as impressive, though, have they, in the regular season? No, they really haven't. Um, they haven't. They've been running the ball like they did last year, but they're really they've been relying on their defense more so than they have been on their offense. And Brian Shore, Shore hasn't had the year that um, he hasn't had the year that he had last year. He does have 27 total touchdowns, but they're not beating teams 40 something to 10 or 50 something to 10. They're doing what they have to do to win. And that's really it. They haven't been as impressive. But, I mean, you go 11-0, and you beat an FBS opponent in all that. I mean, I think they have a shot to really do it, especially with their seeding and the, and the side of the bracket they're on. Absolutely. I mean, you look at – I mean, the only team in their quadrant of the bracket that I think could give them trouble might be Weber State. I mean, I, I don't think they'll have any problem with Lehigh or Stony Brook in their first game. Um, I think that what will make them make the difference, they've got two great players in the secondary, secondary Emory, um, that have – combined for 11 interceptions in Jordan Brown and Rashad Robinson, who have had tremendous years. Yeah, and and that's been the key. It's funny to watch their offense, you know, go from scoring 80 on folks last year to not really putting up points. And this year, defensively, they were giving up a lot of points last year defensively, and this year they're shutting teams down. So it's funny how that balance has now found itself somewhere in the middle. You kind of saw that at the end of the year last year, though, the Villanova game going into the playoffs. Their, their defense really started to play out of control. And they, that's one of the things they carried into this year. And now with that defense clicking the way it is, I think they're almost a more dangerous team because they're they're scoring points. They're in the CAA. They're the highest scoring uh, defense and offense. So that that's, helps. That combination <laughs> is unbelievable if you can get it. Nine points allowed per game, folks. That's what JMU's done this year. Nine points a game. That's called deep. That's not defense. That's deep. Now, Ryan, I want to ask you. We we talked earlier about snubs and. The CAA is known as one of those competitive conferences in the FCS. You know, you have that. You have the Missouri Valley. Uh, but the CAA is, I think, from James Madison all the way down to William & Mary, they're all built the same way. Which team you think was one of the bigger snubs out of this field? You know, I I was thinking Richmond, but, you know, their defense had nothing. They had one of the best quarterbacks, mm. I think, I've like I've ever seen in the FCS, like, from this conference, the way he threw 300 yards, five touchdowns every game, I feel like. But um, I would say Delaware, like uh, David mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. Um, you know, they lost four games, and two of them ugly with the loss to Towson, the loss to Villanova. But that Towson loss doesn't look as bad because Towson, you know, finished five and six, three and five in the Very conference. Very strong, yeah. Tough conference. And I think their losses were better losses than – their two ugly losses were better losses than I would say – um, New Hampshire had. So mm-hmm. if there was going to be a fourth team, I would have thought it would have been Delaware. It would have been interesting to see if they had beat Villanova or beaten Towson, if they had one less loss, would they have gotten like would they have gotten in over New Hampshire with that shutout loss? That would have been interesting. Absolutely, yeah. And let, let, let's talk about, though, one of the teams that did get in. There's always been a lot of talk about Elon and how successful they've been. Let's talk, though, about the Seawolves. Stony <laughs> Brook, quietly, 9-2, and 7-1. and one. Uh, They will possibly face James Madison if they cannot get past Lehigh in the first round. This is a team not a lot of people know about, but they should, shouldn't they? 
Yeah, they came out of nowhere, actually, because last year they started off hot, but they could get no offense. Then Carbone maybe threw five touchdowns the entire year. It's crazy that I, it was the same quarterback putting up the numbers he's putting putting up because the defense was always there. The defense carried them last year to to the amount of wins they had. Their defense has continued to carry them, but they've been getting enough from Stacy Bedell. Hopefully he's healthy, healthy for this game because that could change everything. And, um, yeah, Joe Carbone has really helped, you know, do enough on this offense to make them a threat. I mean, they beat they put 38 up on New Hampshire, who's, you know, clearly a playoff team. So uh, <laughs> the one well thing, played, <laughs> well played. The one thing they got lucky with, they didn't have to play Elon. They didn't have to play James Madison. They did beat Richmond, who is a tough team. So that'll be interesting. They weren't battle tested playing the two, two of the better teams from the conference, James Madison or Elon. So uh, I want to ask you teams that didn't make the playoffs from the, the CAA, uh, you know, you have Maine, Towson, yeah. Nova, all the rest. But you saw some some seeds of, of growth from some of these younger teams like Towson and Rhode Island. What were some of your impressions from teams that didn't make the playoffs? Um, toward the end of the year, you started to see some of these younger teams start to <clears throat> sabotage some of these teams that were supposed to be good. I like that Vill- Villanova Sabot- losing to Rhode Island, bad. A bad loss. Rhode Island, that's a team you could look out for for being like Elon. Because Elon was, I think, what, 2-9 and nine last you year? Just nine. Beca- you just became Emory's best friend <laughs> talking about URI. Shout out to Jim Fleming. <laughs> <laughs> every game I've watched, like every every game seems to be tight at one point. I mean, JMU, what was it, seven nothing going at into half the se- time. At halftime? <laughs> Think about that. They hung in there with every team, and then the second half, obviously, they didn't have the talent to to hold it together. But that's an upstart team that looks. I mean, three and eight, two and six. It doesn't even look like the same team. William and Mary, interesting. Jimmy Laycock's been there forever, thirty eight years, and it's funny because he had to release a statement saying that he was going to come back next season. Anything after that, he doesn't know yet. So I think I feel as though that that has come from the top, and so they're trying to push him out. But I think he wants to get the forty wins. They were zero and eight in conference this year. How far off do you think William Mary is as a football team? Like I don't think they're like Elon was or Rhode Island was. That you know they're a couple years away, but they fought. It's not like they were like Rhode Island last year where they were getting killed in every game. But I think they're a couple years away. I think you know they lack some talent. Uh, they've almost gone in reverse. They're a little better last year. But I think if they could. Put together a decent season next year, gain some recruiting, maybe the following year or the year after. They can they could compete. And it depends what happens with the teams at the top because there's gonna be a lot of talent leaving those teams too. So we'll see how that we'll see how that hap- like what happens with that. Absolutely great points. Ryan, thank you for coming on the show, folks. That's been Ryan Griffith, our FCS whip round uh, correspondent for the CAA. Ryan, thanks for so much for coming on. Thank you. I enjoyed it. All right, folks. Emery, let's talk about another conference here. Uh, that we want to talk about, and that's the Big South. Um, we got six-team conference, yet somehow they get two bids. I mean, I don't know how McNeese feels about that one. But uh, we're going to bring in another one of our correspondents here, folks, and that is Frank LaSalle from the FCS Conference Whip Round. He is our correspondent from the Big South Conference, and maybe he can make some sense of this. Frank, welcome onto the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. So, Frank, we got to start here. With, let's talk about... Um, this last weekend's game as well, a basically a Big South title game between Kennesaw and Monmouth. And we saw, we talked about it earlier, absolute domination from Kennesaw State. How far can this team go in the tournament? Looks like they're dangerous. Oh, they can go very far. Um, number one rushing offense in all of the FCS. They have uh, the best turnover defense in the FCS. They took, they had 32 turnovers to just giving, uh, giving away nine. So anytime your defense and specifically your secondary is that good, you can it can really carry you. Yeah, people talk about the Big South and and 
they look at it as, oh, it's not that strong. But this is a team, a conference that had Liberty. Uh, you know, it was, it's now going to move on. Right. Charleston Southern was a team last year that gave North Dakota State all they could handle. Um, and now you have Monmouth coming back and, and being good, first time making the playoffs. Kennesaw State, fairly new program. How strong is the Big South Conference from top to bottom? Oh, they're very good. Even Garner Webb and Presbyterian, they they can run on you. But specifically, like li- like you said, Liberty beat Baylor, mm-hmm. opened up. They they started yeah, off really hot. But it's Baylor though. Charleston I mean. so, still uh, <laughs> Big Twelve F- FPS. Right. Okay, fair enough. Fine. Charleston Southern, the two time defending champs, they were picked to win it in the preseason. They kind of fell off. Offense wasn't that strong. Mom's um, offense was really good, and then Kennesaw State, most well rounded team. Absolutely. Let's talk about Monmouth real quick. Uh, obviously, the second team in from the Big South. And once they lost that game pretty convincingly, I think I, I think both of us, Emery, were kind of looking at it like, I don't know if they're getting in now. I, I don't know if they're going to do. But now they're in. They're in the field. Obviously, they have to make that trip to the undeserving Northern Iowa. Um, it's a tough road trip, but Monmouth, I think, has a fighting chance in this game. What do you think, Frank? Yeah, you know, it, it wouldn't have surprised me if Monmouth didn't get in. Specifically, mm. they've been snubbed by what I think by Stats FCS for not being in the top 25 That's at true. all. Ooh. When they were 9-1, and one, their only Shame. loss was on the road early in the year to a team Albany, which you guys talked about in the beginning. But Monmouth, specifically their passing attack, Kenji Bahar is really good. They have some good receivers, and they have two really good freshman running backs that can – really do some damage to defenses. Yeah, I love their receiver, Reggie White Jr. No, he's not related to the Reggie White. Oh, People always ask that, like, and I understand why. Uh, but Reggie White Jr. is outstanding. Uh, but people always talk about the, the, the fact that this conference got two, and I thought it was a no-brainer because of how well Mammoth played. When you, when you hear folks talk about the Big South, you know, they t- genuinely talk about at first, it was just Liberty and then Charleston Southern. Do you think these two new teams uh, that we're now talking about kind of gives the perception that why did this conference get two teams in, take away their auto, auto bid? They're not as strong as the Missouri Valley Conference. These are two legit <laughs> squads, right? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, both went 4-0, specifically Kennesaw. Kennesaw had, in three games, they allowed only three points. Then to Monmouth and uh, I believe Charleston Southern, they, they allowed some points. But those are some, some pretty good teams. But, yeah, specifically, Liberty and Charleston Southern both could have been the two best. Instead, it was Kennesaw and Monmouth. And any of those teams, any of the four really could have been good. And we always talk about Presbyterian being that flying ointment team. The blue hole. Exactly. You know, and so, but you guys also <laughs> are going to see some turnaround. Uh, you lose Liberty. You're gaining North Alabama, powerhouse Division II program, national champion, home of Janoris Jenkins as well. Um, but you also gain... Campbell. Yep. And just announced what? Earlier this week? Earlier this week, Hampton. Hampton. Yep. Talk about those new teams that there's going to be in the Big South and what that means for this conference as a whole. Yeah, as a whole, like you said, North Alabama, great Division II program. And then the other two just coming in, just having more teams now that Liberty's coming out. You're gaining three more over the next couple of years. It brings it up to eight teams. So it could maybe be seeing. If Charleston Southern can come back and uh, get more guys, maybe eventually down the line seeing a three-bid conference. But for right now, just just the two. Uh, but you know it's interesting because you look at the SOCON and now compare that to the Big South Yeah, with Campbell, who was prepping all season long for Campbell had a good move. year. As exactly. it, I, I mean, I'm, I, I work as the Pioneer League correspondent for the FCS Whoop Around. Campbell... 
even at up to week eight, this is a team that a lot I thought could win the whole thing. I think they I thought they could upset San Diego. They got cold down the stretch, real cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've got a lot of talent on this roster. They are building up to move to scholarship football. I heard from a coach coaching source that faced Campbell this year. He said on the sideline, Campbell had their recruits from this past class all redshirting. Prepping for the FBS, or prepping for this move to the scholarship Big South, he said they are huge and they're stocked with talent. So they were prepping for this for a while. I would also toss in, a, a, you know, and it's probably a, a far-fetched idea, but looking at conference realignment. So now let's say you have the Big South with uh, Charleston Southern, Kennesaw, Monmouth, uh, Presbyterian, Campbell, um, Gardner-Webb, North Alabama, with Hampton coming in as well. Yeah. If it were me, it from a logistics standpoint, I would probably reach out to Alabama State, Alabama A&M. Right. That way you have the North Alabama, Alabama, you have the Alabama schools plus Kennesaw right there in Georgia. Sure. You could <clears throat> create North-South. I would even also reach out to South Carolina State because you already have Presbyterian, Gardner-Webb, and also, I think Gardner was in North Carolina, but you have Presbyterian and you could have South Carolina State. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Yeah, so just you could that. really create something. I mean, and just from those teams, just just from the the Hampton, North Alabama, um, and Campbell coming in, the Big South could look like the SoCon in in a few years. Yeah, and I, I think Frank talking about what you said about possibly being a three team, three bid team in the playoffs. I think there's every possibility. I mean, Monmouth has shown that they are a consistent program. Kennesaw, three years in, is already winning the conference. And as you said, Charleston Southern, they're usually the power in this division. And then you add in a team like Campbell or a team like Hampton, I mean, Lord knows what they're going to do in in a new conference. You don't know until you see them play for a year. I think you're right. I think we could see a lot of of passion, a lot of uh, explosion of the Big South onto the scene. So, folks, again, that was uh, Frank... Uh, from the FCS Conference Whip Around. Frank, thanks so much for coming on. Mr. LaSala. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Folks, let's continue on here with our playoff preview. And let's talk about this, Emery. Let's talk about the game round one previews. Before we get into the bracket, let's talk about the Bayou Classic. You absolutely love this contest, and it's a big one. Yeah, Grambling Southern has played for a while, and, and you look at the Bayou Classic, it's one of those historic games. In the Superdome, pits the, the two teams, Grambling State, Southern University, the you know outstanding week of uh, events. You have the Battle of the Bands. You have all kind of parties it's party. going on. It's yeah. a party. Uh, and it's a, it's a great matchup. And this game, always as, as it always is, comes down to win, and you're going to the SWAC title game to face Alabama State. So it's always something on the line. It never goes how it's expected to go. Grambling, however, has won the last couple uh, SWAC championship games and, um, or Bayou Classic and, and went on to the SWAC championship game. So this is a game that's going to be interesting because Southern has gotten off the mat. They've won six straight. If they win, they own the tiebreaker, and they will go face uh, Alcorn State in the SWAC title game. And the winner of that game goes on to face North Carolina A&T. Ideally... Now, I know Southern wants to win, obviously, but Grambling, North Carolina A&T is one hell of a matchup to have in the Celebration Bowl. That's a top 15 matchup because Grambling in the last FCS stats poll is coming in at number 13. A&T finishes at number 7. 
in the regular season. Grambling is dominant. This team, if you haven't watched them play, Mr. Kincaid, take a bow. This kid is a stud. Um, this is a team that has really not had a challenging game all year long, really. I mean, if you look at their schedule, the only tough team, they, the only game that was close uh, was Arkansas Pine Bluff, really. And, and that's a team that they probably shouldn't have had trouble with, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I don't see any way Grampling loses this game. There's no way they lose this game, right? Maybe, sort of. <laughs> There's always Maybe. a chance in the Bayou. Listen, the Bayou Classic is bl- bl- the Bayou Classic. You're too, you're too confused to even think about this thing. It's, it's crazy, man. It, it, it gets wild, and there's always a chance. Austin Howard's a really good quarterback. Aaron Tiller is a really good defensive end. So Southern has talent to cause problems, and the game is always a shootout. So, But I think Grambling has the better players. Kincaid, Martez Carter, that offensive line, I think they're going to do some good things. This is going to be a really good game, and I'm glad it's one that leads into the playoffs as well. Absolutely, and let's talk about those playoffs. Round one coming up this weekend. Um, Thanksgiving weekend, of course, so everybody gets to sit around their TVs and watch FCS football because that's obviously the only thing that's important around here. Let's look at these first-round matchups, and let's start Furman versus Elon. We talked about this matchup. It's a it's a uh, rematch from the regular season. Uh, the Paladins lost to Elon in the regular season. They're going to be looking for revenge. Elon, as we said, have struggled coming into this game. They've not exactly been convincing, and they only beat Furman by a field goal in week two. Does Furman turn this around and get the win on the road, what they couldn't do at home? Well, here's the thing, man. This is a, this is a scary game because Furman, as much as we were giving them props and like pushing them forward, they really didn't look too good in their last outing. Yeah, Elon has slowly you know, pump the brakes a little bit, but they've been playing a lot of close games anyway. So we're not surprised by that. So I just want to know which team will show up, which Furman team, which Elon team. Yeah. And, and I, and I said, it. I think this is coming, going to come down to who has the ball last, who can control the clock enough. And when you talk about Furman, they've got a two headed monster in the backfield. Antonio Wilcox and Keelan Dirks have both had tremendous seasons. Um, for the Paladins, they're number 11 in the country in the FCS in rushing offense, uh, putting up 35 points a game. So this team, as much as they're a running running first team, they can still get a decent amount of points on the board. And, and we have to give credit to both coaches, two first year coaches. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's outstanding. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the biggest problem too is what Elon defense shows up because there have been times where they've been dominant. There are other times when you're like, eh. Hey, what? Who? What, what? This is the Elon from two years ago. Warren Messer, though, is going to be a key man on the defensive side of the ball. 103 tackles this season for Elon, including five and a half sacks. If he can fill up the hole and make sure that they can't run effectively in the middle, I think that's going to be a big key to this game. Shout out to former SOCOM members, too. Former SOCOM members. Let's, <laughs> Let's move on to the next game, and we're going to try to keep our emotions in check. Our opinions will stay out of this. Let's talk about the facts. I'm actually excited for this one. So Let's go ahead. talk about the facts. Central Connecticut State, amazingly, has to travel to UNH. Now, as much crap as the as we've given the Wildcats on this playoff preview, they're still CAA. They're still a team that is known to cause some problems in the bracket. 
this could be a stumbling block, though, in their first round. It really could. And this is a barometer test for Central Connecticut State. They had one a couple of weeks ago when they played Duquesne, and he answered that completely. Um, this is another test. You know, we didn't know much about the Blue Devils. It had two Division two wins on their schedule. Um, you know, you, you kind of could point at their schedule and say, eh, I don't know, but yes. they won some big games. They had to win to get in. They did that. They won the conference title. And I'm pretty sure they're going to be revved up to play this game. And New Hampshire also probably knows that, hey, we shouldn't be in. But since we're here, let's dance. <laughs> you know, and so I'm excited. I think this is going to be one of the best games of the weekend. Absolutely. And, and when you talk about New Hampshire, Trevor Knight still has had a very good season for them. Um, throwing for 2,800 yards and 23 scores, only six picks. Central Connecticut is not going to blow you away. If, they, if this game is close at halftime, big advantage, Central Connecticut State. But I think what this will come down to is experience. New Hampshire's been here before. They've made some noise. This is their 16th playoff appearance, first time ever for Central Connecticut. They that, haven't gone this far before. That, that says something. And, and uh, you know, Coach McConnell is one of the all-time legends in the FCS, uh, New Hampshire t- head coach. So, We'll see. I'm just excited to see these two teams play because you have a team that's trying to prove something. Another team is really trying to prove that they should be here. It not just, you know, I know we ragged on them, but they have an opportunity to make some. Now that you're in, all bets are off. You know what, New Hampshire? Shut us up. Shut us up. Simple as that. Basically. But I will say this. This is Northeast football. This is going to be a fight. This is going to be a knockdown, drag out. I hope it's snowing up there at least. Make it a real football game. So this will be interesting to watch. Another Northeast, Northeast matchup here, Lehigh. Again, 5-6 and six Lehigh, but 5-1 and one in the Patriot League. They are the Patriot League champions. They take on Stony Brook. Yeah, can Lehigh really? I mean, if they win, they get to 500. That helps at least. But can they get to 500? Here's the thing. All offense. All of the offense. (laughs) All the points. All the points. This is going to be – watch this game be a defensive slugfest. Just because. (laughs) 10-7. Exactly. Watch (laughs) Lehigh's defense show up. Uh, But should be a good game because you have the passing attack and the stout defense of Stony Brook. Styles make fights, we always say. uh, Contrasting styles here, obviously. But Stony Brook's offense has gotten off the mat, and that's going to be one interesting thing to watch as we move forward. So – which will Lehigh Lehigh's defense show up? They didn't show up against Lafayette. They gave up 31 points. Can they show up just once? Yeah. If they show up, they have the offense to make a run. They don't have the defense to make a walk. <laughs> so <laughs> or a crawl at oh, this point. Or a crawl. It, what's weird about this matchup is it's strength versus weakness at every point cuz Stonebrook has the 12th best rushing defense in mm-hmm. the country. Lehigh's got the 58th rushing offense. Lehigh's got the number five passing offense. Stony Brook's 69th in passing D. So both teams' strengths really don't get tested too much in this one. It's going to be weird to see how this goes. But, again, Lehigh's got the experience. 11th playoff appearance to Stony Brook's third. It's been a while since Stony Brook has been back, too, since 2012. So you're talking about an entire class that has never seen playoff football it could be weird. That's intriguing. And Andy Cohen is an outstanding coach at Lehigh. So this will be fun to watch. Definitely going to be fun to watch. Let's move on to the next matchup. We broke this down pretty good here. But let's talk about it again. Samford at Kennesaw. Kennesaw making their first ever appearance. Champions out of the Big South. Samford, they get the win that they needed. That was another team we didn't know if they were going to make it. They beat Furman. Credit to them. They got in. That's what they needed to do. 
this one is a fun one because, again, it's another rematch from the regular season, and it's the only loss on Kennesaw's record, their only blemish, a loss to Samford in week one. Is there a revenge factor in this game for Kennesaw, or can they, or they, do they have to leave the emotions in the locker room? Yeah, they have to leave the emotions in the locker room and, and not just be happy to be there. You know, like, oh, we made the playoffs, this is great. Nah, it's a business trip. You're there mm. to win. <laughs> You're there to, to go to Frisco, Texas. This team has great defense. You also can draw back from the first ma- matchup. And, and when you have rematch games like this, it's all about um, adjustments. What adjustments can you make? So we're going to learn a lot about both coaching staffs in this game. You know, what adjustments can you – because think about it. They, they, it's unique because they played them in week one. So they had all spring, all summer to prep for one game. And it was a close one. It was a close one on both sides. So what adjustments can they make now on a short week or just a regular week of prep and practice? But the benefit is that they have the uh, added benefit of playing this team before. So you got film. You know what to do. This game will be all about adjustments. And, again, it's a switch of venue as well. They Kennesaw lost at Samford. Now they host Samford. Was, does that make a difference? They're going to have to slow down Devlin Hodges, though. Sam, I mean, the Samford team can just fl- throw, flow, throw all over you. This is an absolutely devastating team. Kelvin McKnight as well. Over 1,100 yards receiving this year and 12 scores. And defensively, Samford's got a very busy defense. Ahmad Gooden, uh, Dion Pierre, and Shahid Salman are all – I have all three of these guys on here because they have such an impact. They're always around the ball. Um, I think this could be tough for Kennesaw. Again, not being here before, but they played this team close. They know what they're going to face. Can their defense step up like they have all year long and stop this passing attack from Devlin Hodges? This is going to be a fun game to watch, man, because, again, it's a lot of star power here. You know, you got a good defense at Kennesaw. We talked about that earlier. You talked about the uh, passing attack of Sanford. So can Sanford run the ball is going to be what I want to see in this, in this ball game. Let's move on now to Weber State. They get in. They, they were a little little optimistic, by the way. They, they sent out a tweet uh, before the end of the Southern Utah game saying, Big Sky champions, co-champions, guys, and you lost to them. So, no. Uh, but <laughs> they get in, deservedly so. Another great year for the Weber State Wildcats. Uh, they host Western Illinois. Now, this is a, this is a weird match because Western Illinois has kind of been under everybody's radar. Weber State, we've heard a bit about them because they're out of the big sky. They had a good year last year. They've been good the last couple of years. This one is going to be a lot of unknowns because you don't know how each team is going to face against face off against the other. I mean, this is this is Western Illinois is is one of those teams that they're built differently than everybody else. Like they're built along the line of scrimmage. Their defense is solid, especially within the front seven. So. They do have a, a playoff-ready team. They, they're sort of one-dimensional in their offensive approach. You know, then there's a not, little bit. Not, well, not too much, though. The, you you kind of can stop them, you know, as, as far as, like, you can stop yeah. their passing game. There's one option there in their passing game um, that you could essentially take away. But the way they overcome that is by running the football well. So I think when you look at Weber State and their multiple-layered attack, their multi, multi-layered attack – uh, they get tight ends involved. They get backs involved. Uh, just, you know, this is going to be a really good game. This one will be another one that's an intriguing match. I'm glad they matched these two teams up because I think this will be a, a very good playoff contest. Absolutely. And I think what what's interesting with, with Weber is they're going to have to throw the ball to win this game. Because if you look at their 
you know, they have a pretty good rush offense, 25th in the country, 24th in the country in rushing offense, and 25th in rushing D. They're going to be playing two very tough defensive players from Western Illinois, Brett Taylor, who has 150 tackles this season. 150, 13 for loss, and a one and a half sacks, and then Kalen Saunders up front. This kid is, this is a man. 6-2-3-10 on the defensive line, and he's only a junior. 52 tackles, 11 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks. So if they're going to try to run the ball, they're going to have to get through these two guys up the middle. If they can't, they're going to have to throw. And that might actually be to their benefit because Western Illinois' passing defense is 78th this year in the country in FCS. I want to see what happens. I think this could either be a lockdown defensive struggle, real tight ball game, or it could turn into a high-scoring affair. I don't know which one, and it's really it's a massive question mark. I would lean toward a defensive struggle in this one because I think both defenses will show up. I love what they bring to the table at the second level. You're going to see a lot of good linebacker play here, yeah. um, and, and I think it'll be a low-scoring game, but one that's going to be outstanding uh, to watch. Absolutely, and again, they have a date with Southern Utah, who's the eighth seed, so... That's, I mean, those slowest, champs. It's a, like, that could be that could make a real feisty one if Weaver State advances. South Dakota at Nichols. This is the one game that you picked out as one of the one of the weirder games, one of the more interesting, in, should we say, intriguing games intriguing. of the first round. Tell us why this is going to be an interesting game. Because I think both teams are eerily similar. Both run the football real well. Both have outstanding quarterback play. Both defenses are opportunistic. The Colonels have much better defense, um, and they're good at all levels. But I think these teams play the same game, you know, and I think that's what makes it intriguing. Um, now you're going to get South Dakota on that grass down there in Thibodeau. Um, I don't, I don't want to say that because I don't, I don't know for sure if they have grass or turf, but. If they still have the same it's grass, still the heat and humidity of Louisiana, it's right, and it's, and and so it's going to be interesting to see because you get them outdoors on that field on that surface. I think they have field turf now, but um, I, I love what Coach Repro has done. This game is is very competitive, and I think this one will be if if I'm predicting Lehigh Stone to be a defensive slugfest, this may be the offensive shootout that we're looking for. So you see that you say that, but. I want to take a look at here at South Dakota's wins this season. A lot of them are by big margins. You got 42 nothing over Southern Illinois, 56-6 over Indiana State, North Dakota 45-7. So when they blow out a team, they when they win they blow out a team more than often than not. They had a close win against Western Illinois, close win against Youngstown, but their losses are tight games. Lost to South Dakota State by three, lost to UNI 34-29, got run roughshod by North Dakota State but that's to be expected. The thing with Nichols that gives them an advantage is they've played a lot of t- close games this year, and they're averaging 28 points a game. They're allowing 24. So in a tight game, they're comfortable. They're okay with that because they know that they can win that way. I think Nichols has a tremendous rushing game that nobody really knows about. Um, Kyron Irvin has had a great season. Defensively, as you said, solid every single level from the line to the secondary. I think Nichols has the edge here. If they can slow down, if they can't slow down South Dakota, if South Dakota can pass at will, this game's over by halftime, and South Dakota runs away. I think Nichols, though, has the opportunity here. If they slow them down, and again, in, they're playing in the heat and humidity of the bayou, you're running all these fly routes, you're going to get exhausted real fast. It's not like the, you're playing in South Dakota in the plains. 
I think the weather might have an effect on the South Dakota team. I really if do. it's if it's raining because again it's it's still November. Um, Doesn't matter. It's still Louisiana. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. But you also have to look at uh, you also have to look at the uh, the fact that you're dealing with a team that is not they they played outdoors. There's not a lot of domes in the Missouri Valley Conference, but I think right. just the fact that the style of play that Nichols plays, I think, will be something to watch in this game. You mentioned domes, and that gets us to our next game, Northern Iowa. Again, a team that was given a present, nice little early Christmas gift before Black Friday. They get in. They are at home. They host Monmouth. Interesting, and again, is that is that thought process of, wow, we're lucky to get here, or do we have to prove that we belong? That's where Northern Iowa is coming into against a Monmouth team that got crushed. They were cruising and then got crushed. What's their mindset going to be going into this one? Yeah, Monmouth has to come in and, and, and really set the tone early. Kenji Bahar has to protect the football, and I know he That's understands the that. Thing. That's the biggest thing. Defensively, they have to get early stops. You want to make this attract me. If they can do that, I think they have a legit chance of going in there and really winning this ball game. Northern Iowa is, is not happy to be there. They're expecting to be there. And that's going to be something to watch moving forward. But if you're in northern Iowa, you want to come out and you want to be aggressive and force them to make that young quarterback make bad decisions. So good coaching match here between these two teams. And I think it's going to be a matchup. This is going to be a, a game fought in the second level because they're going to have to slow down Pete Guerrero, who has been as consistent as can be for Monmouth this year, over 1,000 yards rushing, um, the, the number 19 rushing offense in the country, Monmouth. On the other side of the ball, Northern Iowa, 34th in rushing defense. you got some great players in that second level. Jared Farley has over 100 tackles this year. Uh, Ricky Neal, who is a guy that's got the frame and the, and the body type to play in the NFL. This kid is a 6'1", 240 junior linebacker. He's got 44 tackles, including 14.5 for loss and 9.5 sacks. So it's going to be that relationship, linebacker versus running back, who is going to have the advantage in this one? I mean... I look on the perimeter. Can Northern Iowa cover in the passing game? Mm. Reggie White Jr., outstanding receiver. They also work their tight ends, too. Can Northern Iowa play great pass defense? Because I think Monmouth in that dome will take full advantage of the ideal conditions and try to air it out. And Monmouth, and, and Monmouth is very similar to a lot of Missouri Valley teams. They are a balanced attack. Very balanced, oriented pass and run. So that could hurt them, but it could also help them because they're not expecting that in Northern Iowa. Um, again, though, that dome gets loud. I mean, they always talk about the Fargo Dome being the, the Thunderdome and, and you don't want to go in there. Northern Iowa makes some noise in that building. That's going to be a tough, tough environment for Monmouth plus the travel. I hate to say this. I think Northern Iowa has the edge. Monmouth, though, will give them a fight in their first playoff appearance. Let's move on to our last game here, Emory. And this is also a very – this is an intriguing one for me. San Diego, champions of the Pioneer. They're traveling out a little bit east to take on Northern Arizona. And Northern Arizona coming out of the big sky. Looked real good about eight weeks or nine weeks into the season. They've kind of fallen off. The Toreros, can they take advantage of this? This is going to be an aerial assault. You got <laughs> – yeah. <laughs> you love yeah. the passing game here. This is the one you want to tune into. Uh, you're going to have two outstanding quarterbacks in this ball game, some great receivers. So we're going we're gonna to see a bunch of action in this one. This is one I really like. So I think San Diego definitely has a chance, but I worry about their defense. They're, can they 
withstand the downward pressure they're going to see from the Lumberjacks. That's going to be the biggest key in this game uh, for me. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be whoever has the ball last wins. Um, you're talking about San Diego with the number 17 pass offense in the country, Northern Arizona number 8. But you're right, Northern Arizona 16th in pass defense. And again, they're coming out of the big sky where every team airs out the ball. They know what's coming. They know how to defend this thing. The thing with San Diego is they actually have a decent running game, too. They're 38th in the country in running to Northern Arizona's 106th-ranked rushing defense. So everyone's going to be focused on Case Kukas versus Anthony Lawrence. That's going to be a titanic matchup, but I think it's going to whoever can run the ball effectively to get the other team off balance will have the chance here. And Emiliano Martinez had a very good season for San Diego, almost 900 yards rushing, nine rushing touchdowns. If he can run the ball effectively and keep San Diego in control of possession for a little bit longer time, I think they have the win in this one. I think they got an advantage. Ross Dwelly, the tight end. And a lot of times when you look mm-hmm. at you know ball games, you look at who can dominate the middle of the field. I think when you look at Dwelly, who I believe is an NFL prospect, as I do about most tight ends that's coming from the FCS this year, but we'll get into that as we get close to the draft. Yes. But – I do like the fact that they can throw over the middle of the field. I want to know what can they do outside of what they normally do. Sure. Special teams. Yep. So can't because they don't have a Jamal Agnew. He's not returning kicks for touchdowns in the NFL. True. Can they generate big plays in the special teams? Can they hit field goals? Can they pile up points? And then maybe you get a break here or there. We saw them do this last year in the playoffs. They knocked off Cal Poly, a big sky opponent. But granted, Cal Poly makes it easy because all they do is run the football. This is one of the more dangerous teams in the FCS. I look for Northern Arizona to come in and probably try to do something creative. Maybe they run the ball more as opposed to trying to air it out. Well, I think they need what they need to do is avoid Jonathan Peterson, the defensive end for San Diego, who has recorded 13 sacks this season and 20 tackles for loss. So it's going to be the battle to see can they shut him down. Now, he's a little undersized. He's 6'1", 240. Not your typical DN size. Kind of comes off the edge and causes some mayhem in the backfield. And again, as a, if your offensive line can hold up and let an all-out throwing offense and let Case throw the ball, great for Northern Arizona. If you cannot contain him and he starts causing havoc, you're going to have to run the football because it's going to be a big problem if they cannot shut him down. But Northern Arizona, I think they got a good shot here. Uh, they got, I mean, Elijah Marks. This guy's he better be coming out in the draft. Oh, man, he's a good – and they, they're playing great without Emmanuel Butler, who was the other receiver that was – that's the NFL prospect. He's been out for a long time. So the fact that Marks has taken over and become the go-to guy speaks volumes of his talent. That's what that's what I'm looking to see. You, you're going to get a lot of pro talent. Case Cookus is going to be a pro player down the line. Um and their offense right now, and granted, is, is we're making this case for Northern Arizona. Yes, they are coming off of a loss, but they're a pretty good football team, and they deserve to be in, and they should be in, and they should make some noise in the playoffs. Absolutely. And, and you're talking about wins against Illinois State as well out of the Missouri Valley, so that's a nice win for Northern Arizona. And Sacramento State, who we said was kind of a, a minor snub out of the playoff picture. Uh, folks, before we wrap things up here, I have some sad news to pass along to all of you. I know you've all become invested in Springfield College football. <laughs> and, uh, yep, season's over. Uh, lost in the first round of the D3 playoffs to Husson. A very good game, 23-21. Uh, I mean, just could not move the ball. Great job by John Smith as well. We talked about him last broadcast from Husson. 
Um, did a tremendous job and did what he had to do. What he ran for? Um, I'm not sure, but it was it was enough to beat us. So that's <laughs> that's all I did know. Did y'all even score? We got a couple, yeah, and we had the ball in the last uh, three minutes of the game. Oh, so y'all did score down too? Yeah, we 23-21 was the final oh. score. So it was it was always going to be a close contest, especially with two powerful running games. But uh, well done to Husson. They move on. They will play Delaware Valley, number one team in the East Region, in the next round. Can y'all beat New Hampshire? Anybody can beat New Hampshire. Oh. My high school team could beat New Hampshire. Are you kidding me? Uh, Emery, obviously, you are now past the busiest part of your schedule. Yes. What or do you the travel part. Now I'm back on my scouting duties. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> How are you spending Thanksgiving week, my man? Well, I was supposed to go down to – well, I'm not going to even say that. I will be at Maryland Penn State Ooh, Saturday. Interesting. Right, because you have a really good player in Saquon Barkley – uh, Maryland has some good defensive players that I want to scout. And I, now I'm just into my full football game plan, scouting duties, prepping for the draft, the senior bowl, the shrine game, things like that. So now I've transitioned from broadcaster to scout analyst. And happy to wear that hat because it's less travel right now for me. So I get about a month and a half of a break. Uh, <sighs> Lazy. Yeah. Well, no, not even a month and a half. Maybe like a week and a half because then – Or two weeks because then I, I'll be down at the celebration bowl. Absolutely. So, folks, thank you very much for listening. This has been the FCS Opening Drive Podcast Playoff Preview presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Have a happy Thanksgiving week. Enjoy all the football. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. And enjoy everything that you could be thankful for, including uh, watching this great sport that we all love. This has been David Hashagen, Emery Hunt. Thank you very much. Folks, have a good one.